Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is the word of the Lord. So let's get the obvious out of the way. The shirt is more salmon than it is pink. So Proverbs 16 uh, is one of those verses that is used. There's a verse in there that's used as uh, kind of a cultural thing that the culture doesn't even know. But in there is pride comes before destruction or pride comes before fall. And here I am toting how awesome I am at basketball. And more appropriately how great my basketball shoes really are. And they failed me on Tuesday night. I landed on a guy's foot, fracture. Um, so I'll be that weird pastor guy for the next four to six weeks sitting on a stool, one of those, like, let's have a serious talk. Um, so, which is good because we're talking about predestination. So let me sit down and have that. A uh, couple of things real quick. If you're new, my name's Sean. I'm the lead pastor here for Redemption uh, uh, Peoria Redemption uh, Church is one church, 10 different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Uh, we'd love to get you connected. Communities are going to be the way to stay connected, but we don't want to just throw you in there. So here's uh, what we want to put in front of you. You can text the word CONNECT to 623-850-4690. You'll get a digital Connect card, and that will connect you to, to what's going on as far as our Start Here class, ran by John Demeter. Uh, first three weeks of every month, you get at our culture, why we do things the way that we do, all that jazz. So really excited. I also want to give you a heads up um, on two things. One is directly after this service. It's going to be a little bit shorter. We're going to end at uh, like 10.15 because we have a, a members meeting. Anybody who says, I am a member, I want to be a member, I have questions about membership, we're going to stay here, which means as soon as service is over, you're going to hear Vince remind you at the end for the benediction, we want you to go get your kids right away, okay, and then bring them back into here uh, because we want the workers who are in there as well to be able to attend that meeting. It should only be a 10 to 15 minute meeting. It'll be real quick. But, uh, but we have a, obviously have second service to get going as well. So just be aware of that. Uh, and then this, the second thing and the last thing, and we'll jump into Ephesians 1, is next week uh, we're going to celebrate three years. And you could hold your applause there. Let's save it for next week because I know we tend to ration our clapping. Um, uh, let's save it all for next week because uh, next week's going to be a little bit different. We're actually going to take a break from the book of Ephesians. We just started, I know. But um, we're going to actually talk about why we do what we do on Sunday. So uh, Josh and I are going to... Literally, between each song, before, why we do announcements when we do, some things we're changing, why do we preach through the Bible. Um, So it's going to be different, and we're excited uh, about explaining that, because a lot of you come and you're used to kind of just, hey, a fun song at the beginning, and then another song that kind of goes in the same key after that. Josh does not handle things like that. Um, He sings like things like, we become a talent show. We, We need to be brought back, right? So there's intentionality of what he's doing at that song during our service. And so we're going to walk through why we do that and why for three years we've been doing it that way. So we're really excited uh, about that. So let's jump into Ephesians 1. You can turn your Bible there if you already uh, have it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, there, there's a study guide out in the, the, out by the Connect desk. They're five bucks a piece, free. If you do not honestly don't have five bucks, um, you can give online. Just give the five dollars or give cash there, which will end up dropping in the offering box. Um, just so you're aware if you want to get a study guide for the first part. So um, here's where we started with Ephesians. If, um, if you weren't here last week or the week before, there's some catching up that we need to do. 
Um, we talked about this idea that in Ephesus, there's a ton of different philosophies, different ideas, different ways of viewing a lot of different things. And that's because of where Ephesus is pocketed and, and its background and all those things. And you can listen to the last couple of weeks to kind of get behind a lot of that. But, but what I tried to put in front of us was the idea that what we're going to do when we, when we read Ephesians is get behind the truth of the way that God views those different topics. Meaning you have ideas about marriage and you have ideas about money and you have ideas about race and you have ideas about predestination, right? Well, what if we just stood, kind of took a step back and said, God, what do you want me to believe in this? Like, let the Bible guide those philosophies, those ideas, those uh, doctrines, whatever it is. And so um, if you can kind of imagine, it's like uh, if you're looking for like a new house or a new apartment, you go and, and look at that, the house, right? And you're staying in front of the house and you look at the, the house as a whole, but you also go into each room, right? You examine, oh, this room is kind of big or the master bedroom room has this, this awesome bathroom or closet or whatever it is. And you're looking at each room and then you kind of go back and you go into each room. Well, that's what we're doing in Ephesians. As a whole, we're looking at the house of what Ephesians is doing, but um, for verses 3 through 14 is one of those rooms that we're going to be zooming in on and spending some time because it's ultimately about what we uh, talked about, what I explained last week, the, the term is soteriology. It's the study of salvation. So what does it mean that we are saved? When you as a Christian say you are saved, how did that come to be? More appropriately, what does the Bible say about how that came to be? And then us to kind of change and reorient our mind around what Ephesians is putting in front of us, okay? Now, one of the things that is, is really important as we go through this is verses 3 through 14 is one of those rooms, and it's important to know that because verses 3 through 14 in the Greek, the original Greek, is one big sentence. It's one gigantic sentence. Now, we've broken it down in English to seven or eight different sentences, but in Greek, it's one huge sentence, and it's getting at this one big idea, okay? So as we kind of read that, know that is true. Now, before we read verses 5 and 6, um, I want us to, to remember what verses 3, specifically verse 4, said, okay? Because um, when, also when I was talking about the different philosophies and different ideas, I tried to explain that Ephesians is pocketed in these two things that we're going to cover over and over and over again. Every room has these two words, grace and peace. And what Ephesians did in verses 3 and 4 is it gave us room not just to talk about grace casually, but Paul doubles down on talking about grace, and he makes this statement, if you remember. Let's read verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we talked about that last week. In Christ, we have these spiritual blessings. And one of these spiritual blessings is, is this, this, knowing this, right? Verse 4. That even as he chose us in him, being Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So that this is where we, we took a pause and we said, listen, you've got a lot of ideas in the way that God works. I get it, okay? We're raised in a culture that tells us all different ways to think. But what Ephesians just told us is that before the foundation of the world, he chose believers to be believers. Now, I recognize, I think the elders, all of us recognize as leaders, that that causes mental, spiritual, emotional dissonance. There's something that you want to kick back against that and go, I don't like that, I don't like where that's going, and you have a million questions, okay? And so I try to give some parameters, because the reality is, the best example I can give, it was at first basketball, but the Lord has shown me to stop giving examples through basketball, um, is like, pretend you're at a spa, I've never been before, but imagine you're at a spa, and you get into the jacuzzi, the hot tub. At first... 
like that water's like, ooh, it's hot, right? You, you get in, you want to pull back immediately. Like, ha, 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 ha. But if you sit in it long enough and you settle, it becomes this comforting thing. It becomes this thing that is actually even good for you. Now, unfortunately, there have been people that you might have run into that have talked about ideas like this, doctrines like this, that have sat in the jacuzzi too long. They haven't enjoyed, I don't know, whatever is offered at spas, yoga, facials, massages. They haven't looked at the other beautiful ways to see salvation, the other beautiful ways to understand the doctrines of God. And they sat in the jacuzzi and ultimately it, it kills them, right? They, they become this kind of one, one trick pony that only cares about that thing and it, and it almost feels unloving. It doesn't feel like it has life. But the reality is the doctrine of election, what was just put in front of us in verse four is meant to bring us comfort. And that's why we need to understand this room, verses 3 through 14, is over and over and over again written in a cadence that is meant to cause worship. It's meant to cause worship. It's not meant to cause arguments or splitting of denominations or quite literally in the history, murdering people. When we talk about the doctrine of election, it's meant to do something within us that like, yes, I see it. It's beautiful. And the parameters I try to give, just be aware, because some people have sat in the jacuzzi too long, and there is that mental, emotional, and spiritual dissonance. I gave four things from John Stott, just real briefly. Let me mention them. The first thing is the doctrine of uh, of election is in the Bible. It's not man-made. We've got to do something with it, okay? So just be aware of that. The second thing is the doctrine of election is mysterious, and that's okay. So if you've got questions, that's totally fine. It's mysterious. There are things about it that I go, I don't know, right? The third thing is the doctrine of election... Um, should humble us. It's never going to lead to boasting. So anyone who comes and says, so you were chosen, right? That makes you better. Actually the opposite. What we're told historically in uh, the people who have followed God where Zion has existed in the, 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 the Israelites is that God chose them because they were the feeblest, the weakest, right? And that's true. We were the utmost sinners, as Paul will later say in Ephesians 3, that he is the greatest sinner among the saints. Uh, and then the fourth thing, the doctrine of election leads to, uh, to godly action. So it's never going to lead to complacency. It's never going to be a thing that you go, well, I'm saved so I can do whatever I want. That's just not true. Now, all that to say, here's what I want to uh, remind you of. With all of those questions, my job today and yesterday and John and Jim and Vince and whoever gets up here and teaches uh, on Sunday mornings is to teach the Bible. So what we're not doing is teaching topogetically. I'm not going to take election or predestination And just melee us as to why predestination is true. I'm going to talk about what Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 is putting in front of us. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want to address it, or we as elders or leaders don't want to address it. And so we are intentionally having a class on this topic, okay? We're going to talk about man's depravity, talk about predestination in full clarity, that specific doctrine. What does it mean that are all people saved if Christ died for us? Are people saved once and then they're always saved? What does that mean? And so starting February 12th at Paseo Verde uh, Community Church uh, from 6.30 to 8, we're going to have these long conversations. I'm going to lead that class. There's child care offered. Uh, we're going to eat dinner together, and we're going to gather, and we're going to talk about these doctrines at length to, to be able to help you work through this, okay? But today, it's supposed to cause worship. Ultimately, it's supposed to cause worship and praise, but that's what we get at. So with that being said, let's look at our text together. Here's what I want to do. Um, so we know that um, this isn't coming from nowhere, um, I want us to recognize that, that Paul is going to not just double down on grace and saying that we've been chosen before the foundations of the world. He's then going to take his winnings and double down again. He's going to double down again and say, no, 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 if election wasn't enough, there might be some in this room 
who go, okay, that's fine. I'm good with him electing me before the foundation of the world. Maybe in his foreknowledge, he looked down the corridor of time and he saw that I was going to choose him and therefore I am his elect. And Paul says, there's no room for that. As a matter of fact, Tim Keller makes this declaration. Listen to what he says. It's kind of long. I intentionally don't have it on the screen because I want you just to listen to what he says. It's in a conversation format. He says this, why are you a Christian? Why in verse three, do you have these spiritual blessings? Why do you have these things in your life when other people don't? The first answer is always from a human point of view, understandably. You would respond, because I've received Christ. The question then has to be, in response, good, but why did you receive Christ and the other people haven't? The answer is, well, because I admitted my sins. Great. Why did you admit your sins and the other people haven't? Well, because I humbled myself and the other people didn't. Awesome. True. But why did you humble yourself and the other people didn't? Now you can see what's going on here. As long as you make your choice, the ultimate reason you today are a Christian, the real bottom line of why you're a Christian and other people aren't today is because in some way you're better or in some way have made a better choice. There's no other way around it. You're better, you're smarter, or maybe you're more open, or maybe you're more humble, but that's still better. And maybe you would say, well, there's nothing better about me. I'm just more willing. Then you're still more willing. You're more something which goes completely against everything scripture teaches. If you believe your choice is ultimate, when you say, I am what I am by the grace of God alone, you don't actually mean it. You mean almost completely by the grace of God alone. But there was a little bit of difference between me and that other person. No, Paul says. So, so, so Paul's going to take this and now listen, oh, feel it. The American like ethos going like, you can do it. It's about you. You have drive. I made the decision. What happened? What what do we do with this? How do we we wrestle with this? Now, the way that our section uh, is going to end in our two verses today says this. To the praise of his glorious grace with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Whatever it is in verse five makes Paul goes, can we just stop for a second? Can we just praise how good, how far, how deep his grace has really gone? Can we just recognize that we need to stop and worship Jesus? You've got the questions, but just hold on. Our text ends with this declaration, this doxology of praise God. Praise God. This is so much deeper than I ever thought it was. I've been a believer for years and I didn't realize that grace went this far back. Before grace was needed, grace was already in motion, as I said last week. So what is it? What is causing Paul to praise God, to praise Jesus and his glorious grace? This this is what it is. He predestined. Let's just stop there. That word can cause some turmoil. He predestined. So I I said last week, I'm going to do my best to take one of these difficult words as we go through Uh, Each Sunday, and when it appears, I'm going to kind of break it down for us. So let me awkwardly swivel around and put this um, here. So again, predestined is is two words for us, okay? It's the word pro uh, in Greek, which simply means pre or before, okay? So pro plus the second word, um, go ahead. It's where we get our word horizon from. Horizo, which means established boundaries or limits, right? So you can say pre or before um, 
I'm establishing these boundaries. It's a verb, right? So you've got to put it in this verb uh, uh, sense. So it's pre-established boundaries or pre-set limits, uh, pre-put in motion. And this is where we get the idea, um, which would equal pre and, and uh, horizo, but ultimately where you get uh, these defining things. Go ahead and put it up because I want to make sure. I know the last one is predestined. Yes. Um, so you get words like pre-horizon, predetermined, limits, uh, boundaries, or the term predestined. That's in, in like its simplest way to understand it, it's the idea that God has pre-set. Now, here's what I need you to understand. That may cause some serious, like, oh, I don't like, like, you're, you're new here today. A friend brought you, and you're like, oh, dear Lord, where am I, okay? But here's what you have to know. If you are a Christian, whether you believe in the doctrine of election the way that we're going to talk about it or not, every Christian to some capacity is forced to believe in that, meaning that you believe that before the foundation of the world, according to Revelation 13, Jesus was set. He was already slain before the foundation of the world. That's Revelation 13, 8. In in Acts 4, uh, the the church is praying, and as they're praying, they make this declaration, Lord, uh, all that has taken place with your servant Jesus that was set and pre-appointed by your hands to do. So so just, and, and this is true, you can see it in Acts 2 as well. So we're forced in some capacity to recognize the book of Revelation is on the table, meaning all of us, whether you hold to Reformed theology or not, every single Christian would not look at Revelation and go, it might happen. No, he has given us literature, writings that he has declared this will happen. You can't stop it. You can't make it come at this point. It's me. I'm going to ultimately set this this is going to happen. You don't have any control over it, which gets into all kinds of craziness, right? So if Jesus was preset to die, then the Roman soldier who nails him to the cross, he had to have been born. And if he had to have been born, then he had to have done that. That means his parents would have had to have been born. Yeah, let it ride. Those questions aren't going to ever end. Yes. Bring them February 12th, and I will give you great disappointment in the answers. <laughs> so, so just know, whatever it is, predestinations on the table, whether you hold to reform theology or not, you believe the book of revelation is going, Jesus is going to return. Nothing's going to stop that. It is predestined. God has determined that it would happen. But what in this text is he predestined? What has he decided beforehand? Well, he decided he predestined us. Now, now I want to stop on us because it's, it's a, a good question to ask. Who, who is us? So when you read the word us, I want you to look at verses one through three again, real quick. Um, because we get at some of our context. He's writing ultimately, verse one, to the saints who are in Ephesus, right? And in verse two, he says this, grace to you and peace from, from God, our father. Verse three says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Jesus Christ. So Paul immediately is going, Ephesians, you are associated with me. And hear this, this is really important. Everyone else who proclaims God as their father and Jesus as their savior. Do you understand? So in this text, he has predestined those who have called on Jesus as their savior. He's predestined them. He's predestined us. What has he predestined us to? Well, let's keep going. He has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. So um, we spent four weeks during our, our, our season of Advent 
uh, breaking this down, the, the idea of adoption, what we're adopted to from, with all that stuff. And so um, I don't want to spend too much time, but essentially here's what I want you to know. When you see that language for adoption to himself as sons, it's actually only two words. For himself is actually one word, um, and, and uh, adopted as sons is, is one word. And I talked about this in, in uh, going into this. It's heotithomai. Uh, it just simply means to place a son. There's no word for adoption in Greek. So they put these two words together. I gave the example, actually, of earthquake. If you remember that, we take a noun and a verb, right? But we didn't do it with the word soccer. We made a whole new word where there's kind of European soccer, the the way the world says football, and then we have our own football, so we had soccer. We didn't do that with earthquake. Well, we did it with adoption. We didn't say to place a son. And and, and again, I want to remind you the same thing I did uh, during our season of Advent. The Bible's not being sexist here. It's intentionally saying, he, before the foundation of the world, predestined us, those who are believers, to be the ultimate heirs, to receive the largest blessing that God is, again, we've received spiritual blessing. He has emptied his tank. We receive the love and the affection that Jesus receives from his father. We are a fellow heir with Christ. He has, you ready? Predestined, predetermined it would be so. That's what the Bible says. I'm just, can we sit in that for a second? I tried to say last week, like over and over, let this start the conversation. Don't let it end it. And I've been where you are. I get it. And when I say a declaration like that, you're like, where are we going with this? And I understand. Let it start the conversation. Don't walk out of here and go, this is bull. If the Bible says it, regardless of what Sean is saying, if the Bible says it, you got to wrestle with it if you're a believer. Whether you come to a different conclusion is, is regardless. At this point, the Bible says it. You've got to do something with it. And so it's worth wrestling with. That he has chosen us, predestined us before the foundation of the world to be sons, to be the ultimate heirs. Okay, well, here's what's crazy. Maybe he still did that because he knew who was going to be. Well, he doesn't let you get by with something like that. He says this. He has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, some of your Bibles even say according to the good pleasure of his will, because it's not meant to uh, signify, Philemus isn't meant to just signify this idea of direction or uh, affinity towards action, but far more close proximity. It's meant to go, this is something that he loved to do. More appropriately, as you see, uh, according to his will, you'll see in the NLT, it's something that he wanted. So why did God decide to do this? Why, before the foundations of the world, did Jesus, or or did God the Father in Jesus Christ decide to predestine you? Why? Because he wanted to. Because he wanted to. Not because he saw that you would choose him. Not because you got it right. But because he wanted to. And if it's his universe... And if it's his breath you're breathing, and if it's his life, and if it's his relationships, and if it's his sun, if it's his moon, and if it's his his earth, if all this belongs to him, he has the rightful, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Right. Rightful right. Let's just go with it. My foot, that's what caused it. (laughs) To do what he wants. To do what he wants with it. And so he, in his good pleasure, predestined believers to be believers. Sit there. It's there. Now remember, you're going to all these things, but remember what 3 through 14 is supposed to do. 
Remember how verse 6 ends, how he makes this declaration, and verse 6 ends with, yes, yes. I remember when I was broken. I remember walking down the street, and a guy tried to witness and tell me about Jesus, and I literally laughed in his face. I remember that I didn't deserve it. I remember sitting in a church laughing at the woman preacher on the stage. I remember that moment, and he still chose to save me. It was not me. I did not choose different than the guy sitting two uh, seats over me who did not say the sinner's prayer. I did not in any way think I was wiser or smarter. Hear me, I was only grateful. That's all that I had, and this is Paul's declaration. Now, this is coming from somewhere because you might um, immediately go, "Uh, I don't like it, what do I do? But we passed over a part of this verse that is probably the most important thing that kicks off our entire um, verses four and five. And that's because it's pocketed, or or sorry, five and six. That's because it's pocketed in verse four. So when we read last week that he's chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, the next two words that are in verse four are the words in love. And the reason we didn't talk about in love is because in Greek, it's starting a new sentence. It is, uh, well, not a new sentence, but this new comma, in love, he predestined. That this predestination, this choosing you before the foundation of the world was done, just look at me real quick. It was not done out of aggravation. It was not done out of, I don't like that person and I like this person. No, hear me. It was done out of love, y'all. It was done out of love. Now, now be wise with me for a second. Try to sit in this with me for a second. A husband and a wife are sitting there, and the husband is, is, is uh, having this conversation, and the wife interrupts and says, I have a question. Why do you love me? You've got to be careful with the answer. But let's say he's foolish, and he says, because you're beautiful. You're sexy. I just, I, I, I love you. What if I, what if I, I'm not sexy anymore. What if like, I'm maimed in a, a car accident? Well, I also love you because you're funny, right? Like you're, you're, you're funny and we laugh together. But what if in that car accident, like it messes with like the way that my brain works and I'm not as witty and humorous? Well, it's, it's more than that. I, I love you because you have mercy or compassion. Well, what, what if I grow old and bitter? Will you still love me? Now look at me. The only answer you have, the only wise answer, and the only true answer is I love you because I love you. I can't explain it. And when people ask, how do I know you were the one? I don't know what to tell them. I can give these reasons that seem to be fruit, but I love you because I love you. This is a declaration that he chose you before the foundation of the world. And you're murmuring, you're frustrated. I want to stand up right now, but the boot won't let me. You're frustrated over the fact that you've sinned and you feel so far. Look at me. He loves you because he loves you. That he chose you, he predestined you before the foundation of the world. In his grace, it's gone so much further than you feeling like you're far off and you can't come close. Because he loved you before you were born. He knew that was going to take place and he already chose to make you an heir. He loves you because he loves you. Now let's not cry, that's a burp. So let that sit in there. So, so what, what am I trying to communicate? Let me do my best to kind of break this down. This is the best way that I can do this. Based on the purpose of what God wanted, he predetermined, preset, predestined us to be adopted into his family as heirs of God through Jesus Christ because he loves us. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.9. 
not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Listen to Titus 3.5. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen to Romans 9.16. So then it does not depend on the man who wills and the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. This isn't talking about the rest of Romans 9. This isn't talking about John 6. This isn't talking about John 14 through 17. This isn't talking about huge portions of the Old Testament. This isn't talking about Revelation. Hear me. He has decided to love you. He has decided that, and he does. And what Paul does in response is goes, praise God. What about him? What about her? Why not? No. Let's just sit there like Paul. Praise God. I didn't deserve it. Praise God. Jesus, thank you that your blood was shed before the foundation of the world, that this was God's plan. I want to finish um, with uh, a quote, a long quote from a guy named Propaganda. Um, A lot of you aren't familiar with him, but um, he's a guy who works for Humble Beast, and uh, he's a spoken word poet, and um, I think he gets at what is trying to be gleaned from this idea of what Jesus' saving work is uh, and, and what it has done. And this is what he says. Worth, value, and beauty is not determined by some innate quality, but by the length for which the owner would go to possess them. And broken and ugly things like us are stamped excellent. With ink tapped in wells of divine veins, a system of redemption that could only be described as perfect, a seal of approval, fatal debt removal, Perfect, promised, or sorry, promised, prominent, and perfect priest. Brilliant design system. Redemption for our kinsmen can only be described as perfect with excellent execution. And in all, the only one truly excellent, the only source of excellence, we are declared excellent only by his decree with his system. The only accurate response is all in light of the blood of Christ, the cost of redemption and how that leads us to praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you that you, uh, you have a plan, that you were intentional. You knew what you were doing. You didn't halfway it. You had a plan. You placed Adam and Eve on this rock. You knew exactly what they were going to do. And you had a plan. You put all these things in motion. And we can't help but sit back and realize that this all points to the cross. That every man is subject to lean on Jesus Christ. And that makes us grateful. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, As you um, sit, this time is set aside to just be. And I want to leave you with two quotes Um, Because I know that it's easy for me to make this uh, declaration, or at least Paul to make this declaration, and not address the questions. And he does. In the Bible, he addresses the questions. There's certain points in Romans 9 where he addresses the questions. But I want to quote a guy named Michael Horton and a guy named Tim Keller. Uh, And Tim Keller is the one who I I read at first. And these are the getting at the response, but how um, we want to turn those questions into a proper way, a, a proper channel in viewing this the way that we should. This is what it says uh, first from Tim Keller. I, I believe I have this quote for you. So why doesn't he save all individuals? 
We can only know two things. First, the answer must have something to do with his perfect nature. He is perfectly loving and perfectly righteous. And neither can be preferred over the other, or he wouldn't be God. Somehow, the answer has to be with his being consistent with himself. Second, we can, uh, cannot see the whole picture. Why? Now, if we can conceive of a more merciful system of salvation than God has, we must not see it rightly, for God is more merciful than we could ever imagine. Indeed, we finally see the whole plan, and I'm sorry, indeed, when we finally see the whole plan and answer, we will not be able to find fault with it. God, you know, you know, and Michael Horton says this, when we talk about what is fair, then we need to start with the baseline that each and every one of us deserves eternal death. This amazing thing, the amazing thing is that God chooses to save anybody, especially when he knows that the people he has chosen would not choose him apart from his grace. In his healing ministry, Jesus healed some, but not others. When we come to such passages, do we question his generosity? Listen to this. Not at all. We praise Christ's mercy. Let's just do that. You've got the questions, and I want to answer them, and I want to help you navigate it. But let's sit in a time of being, of being grateful that he loved you before you knew who he was. He loved you.